You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and he calls us to preach the word in season and out of season. We pray that as you listen, you'll be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. As Christians, we believe that the Bible is the word of God. And so let's take some time to listen to God's word that was spoken through the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 4. I'm going to begin at verse 1. Therefore, since we have this ministry because we were shown mercy, we do not give up. Instead, we have renounced secret and shameful things, not acting deceitfully or distorting the word of God, but commending ourselves before God to everyone's conscience by an open display of truth. But if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we're not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Now we have this treasure in clay jars so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. We're struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus may be displayed in our body. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that Jesus' life may also be displayed in our mortal flesh. So then, death is at work in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith in keeping with what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke, we also believe, and therefore we speak. For we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you. Indeed, everything is for your benefit so that as grace extends through more and more people, it may cause thanksgiving to increase to the glory of God. Therefore, we don't give up, even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us 
an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we don't focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen, it's eternal. Won't you pray with me? Lord, we confess that what we just heard is so much more than ink on a page or words flashed on a screen, but that it is your living eternal word to us. And so, Lord, we pray that as we meditate on your word now, that you will lead and guide us in our understanding and eventually also in our application. Be with me as I uh, dig into this text uh, and help all of us, Lord, to not only understand, but to also apply. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, it's a a delight to uh, be with you this morning. Um, I would love for you to keep your Bibles open at uh, 2 Corinthians 14 or your app or whatever you're using, um, as I will be referring back to the text uh, throughout uh, this sermon. When I was a kid, I um, went through a little phase of drawing stuff like this. You can probably zoom in a little bit, hopefully, um, and see that it's an island with uh, directions. And in the middle of the island, there's an X. I I did this after uh, reading Robert Louis Stevenson's uh, Stevenson's Treasure Island. And you all know what the X means, don't you? I will not inflict pirate speak on you, but it means here be treasure. Uh, This is a place, that X, that if you can find it, will change your life. Because treasure tends to do that. I think we are fascinated, aren't we, by the the mystery associated with finding hidden treasure, by the process of, you know, hacking Indiana Jones-like through the jungles until we open that box and see something that will change our lives completely. And that, I think, is the other part of our fascination with treasure. If it is a large enough treasure, it will change our lives. And I can still remember mentally cataloging what I would do with that kind of treasure. The multitude of different ways in which it will change our lives. And that's kind of the question that I want to start with, and that will kind of be hovering over this entire service. What do we do with treasure? Now, of course, I'm not a financial advisor, and finding that kind of treasure in the modern world is highly unlikely. So that's not the direction that I'm heading. I'm obviously talking about the treasure of the gospel. Think for a moment back to the life of Jesus. How, to a certain extent, his earthly ministry is bracketed with references to treasure. Uh, Right at the beginning, as he was born, we see the Magi 
appearing. And what did I have? Gold, frankincense, frankincense and myrrh. Probably the most valuable objects that people in the ancient world could conceive of. We read about that in Matthew 2, verse 11. And then, as Jesus is about to head into that tumultuous final week, we find him in the house of a tax collector with a woman coming to anoint his head with very, very precious perfume. Matthew tells us that the other disciples objected, saying this could have been sold for a great deal of money. These incidents, I believe, serve as a physical reminder of a great spiritual truth. The person and message of Jesus is deeply precious, and meeting him changes everything. So again, that question, what do we do with treasure? Specifically now, this treasure of who he is and what he came to do on our behalf. So let's leave that idea of treasure to decide for a moment and turn from that exalted theme to the rather more messy and mundane reality of Paul's relationship with the Corinthians, which, of course, is where the passage uh, comes from that we read today. So time does not permit me to analyze this relationship in detail because it would take quite a bit of time. Suffice it to say that this relationship to put it mildly, was not without difficulties, and that the Corinthians were probably not in line to win any Church of the Year awards. Uh, Paul constantly had to deal with relational difficulties, moral lapses, and mixed-up doctrines within the Corinthian church. To top it all off, there were at least some people in the congregation that did not accept his authority and, by extension, his teaching. People who pointed to other leaders, other apostles, who on the face of it were perhaps a little bit more successful, saying, well, Paul's okay, but maybe those people are the ones we should be following. After a visit to try and address this situation, Paul had to write the church a letter. A letter that, according to chapter 2, verse 4, caused him many tears, and a troubled heart. It's sometimes referred to as Paul's severe letter. And he must have been very worried about how this letter would be received. And great was his relief then when the response was mostly positive. And part of the reason behind writing to Corinthians was to express his relief, his thanks, his gratitude to the Corinthian church um, for this positive outcome, and to just once again remind them of the primacy of the gospel and the nature of Christian ministry. And that's then what Paul spends chapters 2 to 7 on, uh, just going through the ins and outs of his ministry as an apostle, uh, and also the, the nature of gospel ministry more general. Now, of course, we have to say there's something utterly unique about the ministry of an apostle, in, in, in a sense that we don't share in, um, but there are obviously many, many general principles that we can derive from what Paul is writing to the Corinthians. When we think about just our adherence to the truth of the gospel and how we minister this 
in the world. So, obviously, it would have been great to focus on all of chapters 2, verse 7, but uh, 2 to 7, but we have uh, just a little bit of time. So, let's focus on chapter 4, a chapter that's justly famous as it cuts to the heart of what it means to serve the Lord in the midst of great opportunities on the one hand, but also great challenges. At the heart of this chapter, there are some bedrock convictions expressed by Paul. And I will this morning focus on four of these, and then try and draw out some applications for our own lives and ministries here in the 21st century. The first implication, or the first emphasis that Paul lays, um, you should have guessed that already, uh, since I spoke about treasure earlier, uh, and that's the fact that the gospel is really, really precious. We have been entrusted with a precious truth, a, a spiritual treasure. Now, I live in uh, Geelong, and um, a while ago, I, I went to an exhibition about the early years of, uh, of the city, and part of it focused on the 1850s, uh, which here in Victoria was a tumultuous time because it was the time of the, the gold rush. Uh, where, where gold was discovered in um, what is now Ballarat, Bendigo, uh, points north. Um, and one of the emphases in the exhibition was how it very nearly killed Geelong. And I, I think the same could have been said of Melbourne as well. Because everybody, teachers, policemen, farmers, you name it, uh, down tools and went to the diggings you know, to try and, and, and dig for gold. Uh, that didn't last, of course, and you know, society stabilized after a while a little bit. Uh, but we, we even have a term for it, don't we? Gold fever. You know, that idea of, I'm going to be able to go somewhere and make a fortune, and therefore, it is worth leaving everything, home, family, job, behind, so that I can go and look for my fortune. Now, we can kind of tut-tut about that and say, you know, how, how terrible. You know, how, how can people be so short-sighted? How can people kind of be so consumed? Um, by the desire to be rich. But interestingly, Jesus, on a spiritual plane, wanted us to know that that's an entirely rational response when it comes to the truth of the gospel. Uh, to value it above everything else. To leave everything behind. He told two very, very short parables in uh, Matthew 13. And you may want to turn there if you have uh, a Bible or an app before you, where he makes two comparisons between the kingdom of heaven and treasure. The first one is this. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in the field that a man found and reburied. Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. Second one, verse 45 Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. Buried treasure, pearl beyond price. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, are like these things. This is a message that is worth giving everything up for. And this is precisely one of the themes that Paul develops throughout this chapter, where, of course, he also, following his Lord and Master, 
compares the, the message of Christ, the message of the kingdom, to a treasure. Verse 6, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. So, Paul is saying, here's a great message, a message that shone in our hearts, a message that gives uh, a knowledge of God's glory. And then the very next sentence, and I'm just going to cut it off, just say the first few words, and we have this treasure. Let's just focus on, on that little bit first. We have this treasure. We have been entrusted in the, the parable of Jesus' terms with that hidden treasure. We've been entrusted with the pearl that is beyond price. So we've come right back to where I started. The question, what do we do with treasure? The gospel is a treasure of infinite worth. Stop to think about this for a moment. If you're a Christian here this morning, God has brought in his infinite sovereign mercy the greatest treasure ever into your life. For Paul, this meant that he as a rebel, as a despiser of God's people, that he was brought near, that he was made part of the family, that he was forgiven. For us, and for Paul, this means that on the basis of the finished work of Jesus on the cross, we are rescued from sin, from death, from eternal damnation. What can be more precious than that? Indeed, a pearl beyond And yet, there are two dangers, as I see it, when we are confronted with treasure. The first one is illustrated, I think, very well by a family in London uh, who had a a bulletin board. Uh, So it was a a painting of an Arab man. uh, It was made in Zanzibar, had this very, very, very big frame. And on it, they tacked notices to go to hockey practice, to remember to pay the dentist or whatever. Uh, in 2015, someone visited them and recognized that um, the painting inside the bulletin board uh, was by a South African artist by the name of Irma Stern. People believed this painting was lost. It was actually a really interesting story. It was sold to help fund the defense of Nelson Mandela. Uh, they thought this painting was lost. It ended up in this home in, in London. Long story short, sold at Sotheby's for $2.5 million. So this family had been living you know, with this treasure, uh, not knowing at all what it is, how much it is worth, totally oblivious. And to a certain extent, that's our world when it comes to the treasure of the gospel. There are a lot of people who are vaguely aware of the message of Jesus, who are perhaps vaguely aware that he he said some great things, but who have no idea of the life-transforming power of the treasure of the gospel. Have no idea that this is, in a real sense, the best news ever. So if you're here this morning and you're not yet following Jesus, Let me just plead with you. Explore the truths of this treasure. Don't let it just kind of be there in the background, like that painting. Because, like that painting, and infinitely more than that painting, 
It is worth more than you can imagine. It is life. It is truth. It is your eternal destiny that's associated with this treasure. So that's the first danger, kind of ignoring the treasure. The, the second one is to become totally used to it, to the extent that it almost becomes like our mental furniture or part of our mental furniture. Uh, when I worked in Egypt, I used to go to the Egyptian museum a lot. Um, and at the heart of the Egyptian museum's collection is, of course, the items taken out of the, the, the burial chamber of Tutankhamun, the boy pharaoh. And in the heart of that collection, there is that famous uh, blue and gold death mask of him. You can probably conjure it up in your mind right now. Um, 12 kilograms of solid gold um, in the middle of the room in its own glass case, you know, with spotlights trained on it. Um, I was in the museum once waiting for a friend in this room, um, and I, I had a lot of fun just looking not at the, the death mask, but at the door as people came in. And as they came in, you know, their, their mouths dropped open. It's just, you, you know that you're in the presence of something incredibly special. But then my eyes caught the cleaning lady with an old-fashioned feather duster. She was kind of just walking around. Her job was to keep the, the pharaoh's objects clean. Um, and what was her expression? Well, utter boredom. Another day at the job. Um, you know, it's just something I need to get through. And thinking about that later, it really convicted me. As a Christian, I'm constantly in the presence of the greatest treasure ever. I have the opportunity to learn from God's word. But could it not be that I'm also just a little bit used to it? <laughs> Could it not be that I also just need to sometimes say, wow, this is really, really special. And, and my heart should be aflame, you know, as, as was the case of the, the men on the road to Emmaus. Let's remind ourselves, those of us who've been following the Lord Jesus for a long time, to just reflect on this, that this is not just something I should get used to. This is not mundane. This is the greatest news ever. This is the biggest treasure that we can ever be in contact with. And for Paul, in terms of this passage, part of this process means to keep this central. He begins by saying, we do not preach ourselves. It's not about us. It is about this great treasure, the message of the Lord Jesus. So that's the first big bedrock truth. The gospel is really precious. If you're not a believer, investigate. If you are a believer, reflect and be in awe of this message that you've been entrusted with. The second bedrock truth is perhaps not as exalted, um, but also very, very necessary. It is this. As believers, we are not as strong as we think we are. We're not as strong as we think we are. This might seem like one of the most discouraging statements you've ever heard in a sermon. It is also profoundly countercultural, isn't it? Our society tells us that, you know, if you dream it, you can do it. Um, you know, just work hard enough, apply yourself, and um, the world's your oyster. Yet, Paul has a different perspective here. And, and obviously, he's applying this very particularly in the context of his own ministry. 
For some of his opponents, the fact that Paul had to endure struggles counted as evidence that he was not a true apostle. He was not sailing from victory to victory, as some of those people referred to as super apostles uh, did. Paul, however, was adamant that such people, or people who see the struggles that he's going through as some kind of evidence against his devotion to God, that these people misunderstand the Christian life. Accepting the gospel does not turn us into superheroes who can effortlessly turn the world upside down through our own efforts. Here's how Paul puts it. So let me finish that statement that I ended kind of rather abruptly. We have this treasure, right? So we've established the gospel is treasure in jars of clay. To show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So what is special here? Paul or the treasure? Well, obviously, it is the treasure. Maybe something gets lost in translation a little bit um, when we read jars of clay. Because in the 21st century, pottery is, of course, something pretty special. Uh, it's something that you um, go to a studio to, uh, to buy, and you know, uh, people do great things with, with pottery. But that was not the case in, uh, in the ancient world. In fact, in archaeology, if you want to find out where the garbage dump of an ancient city is, you look for shards of broken pottery. Um, it was an everyday object that people used and discarded constantly. So if I may be so bold to try and attempt a modern translation, Paul is essentially saying, we have this treasure in a McDonald's styrofoam cup, right? Uh, the, the holder is not at all special. We're not as strong as we think we are. We are weak, broken vessels. We need to understand ourselves properly. This will keep us from pride or overconfidence. It will help us to understand who we are in God's economy. And this will then help us also to realize that all the power is from God and God alone and not from our own efforts. Sorry, my pages are a little bit out of sync here. There we are. Um, so that we don't point to ourselves. We don't point to what we believe are our accomplishments in ministry. We always point away to the Christ, to the treasure, knowing that we are weak and broken vessels, and it's all about him. So that's the second bedrock truth. We're not as strong as we think we are, but God is infinitely stronger. The treasure is what it's all about. Third bedrock truth. Holding on to the truth of the gospel can help us persevere in spite of circumstances. I once saw a cartoon that raised a bit of a chuckle. Uh, it had a, a dog, fox terrier, in really bad shape. Um, photo of it. And the poor dog had only one eye. Half of his uh, left ear was missing. Um, and 
it was missing. So it was like a poster, you know, to, to find this dog. Uh, and the poster said, he answers to the name Lucky. Uh, well, <laughs> I'm sure this would have raised a, a wry smile with Paul. Uh, he didn't call himself Lucky, but he did call himself Blessed. But when you looked at his circumstances, you would have said, Paul, what on earth are you talking about? Because Paul didn't only, you know, say we, we're uh, uh, jars of clay. He goes on to enumerate uh, just how weak and frail and broken um, some of his circumstances were. And still he's able to look at all that he suffered and call himself blessed in the Lord. Listen to how Paul describes his circumstances uh, from verse 16. Therefore we do not give up, give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I want you to just latch on to that phrase, light and momentary troubles, for a moment. This must be one of the great understatements in, in all of Paul's writings. Listen to the things that he lists in verse 8. He was afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, given over to death. And you go, right, Paul, light, momentary? <laughs> I don't want to see what severe troubles might look like for you. But why is he able to say that? Paul is able to essentially almost brush these things aside because he's able to see the bigger picture. And part of this bigger picture is to see where God is heading with all of this. God is using this to achieve his purposes. There is so much more going on than Paul just suffering. Because this suffering takes place in the context of Paul being used for God's glory. And so, again, verse 18, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. God is working out his eternal purposes. Now, please understand me. Paul is not pulling his inner Australian here saying, she'll be right, mate, it'll all be okay. <laughs> He's obviously grounding it in a deep theological conviction. The future hope that Paul is expressing here is not based on wishful thinking, but based on the confident hope of the resurrection. Verse 14, for we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you. This is based on the fact that he serves a living, eternal Savior who will work out his purposes and who is using Paul's ministry in that bigger scheme of things. So once again, the hope is not placed on the weak vessel, the clay jar, but on the one who can sustain and even use us in the midst of the most challenging circumstances. Paul is not saying that these things are unimportant. He's not denying that they're happening. But he has a very, very different perspective on it. There is a vision of the Christian life that claims that it will always go well with us. 
that our faith is bound to result in health, wealth, and happiness, that we will effortlessly glide from victory to victory. I wonder how that vision gets past 2 Corinthians 4, where the Christian life is described in really challenging, confronting terms. But it reminds us that this is but a whisper, this is but a season, and that when we place it in the eternal context, by God's grace, He will enable us to bear it, and He will also enable us to bear fruit within this season. I once read an interview with a wise old pastor towards the end of his ministry, and someone asked, what, what kept you going through all of the challenges that you experienced? And his answer was so simple, but so deeply profound. Just this. This is not all that there is. This is not all that there is. And Paul would have echoed this. Our troubles are light and momentary when placed in the bigger scheme of things. So Paul here is encouraging the Corinthian believers and himself to take the longest of long views, to lift his eyes above these light and momentary troubles and to understand that God has a much bigger plan that he's working out. And then, fourthly, the last bedrock truth in this chapter, and one that would be actually much more fully developed in the following chapters, is that unlike earthly treasure, the treasure of the gospel is not diminished by sharing. It's never easy to talk about suffering, as Paul does here, especially since we cannot always see the point, although Paul obviously points to a very important interpretive mechanism when we are faced with, with struggle. So Paul has already told the Corinthians that one way of dealing with his own struggles is to view it in the wider perspective, to know that it is light and momentary. But he then also reminds them that what he is going through in terms of ministering the gospel serves a wider, useful purpose within the kingdom. And here, I guess, we come to the point where the treasure analogy almost runs into trouble a little bit. Um, because Paul now describes one way in which the gospel is least like an earthly treasure. Namely, in the fact that it is not reduced by sharing it. If we keep dishing out parts of an earthly treasure, at some stage, there'll be nothing left. Even Elon Musk can't keep playing this game forever, although he will probably be in it for a long time. Um, it will, at some stage, run out. Not so with the treasure of the gospel. In fact, Paul begins this chapter right at the beginning of chapter 4 by speaking about freely proclaiming the message of the gospel. This is something to be shared um, without any restraint. And then in verse 15, after he spoke about all the troubles that he's been going through, he says, indeed, everything, all these things are for your benefit, so that as grace extends through more and more people, it may give, cause thanksgiving to increase to the glory of God. This is not a treasure that is limited in terms of its scope. It is not a treasure to be hoarded as if there's not enough to go around. Isn't it amazing, this phrase here, 
as grace extends to more and more people. That will cause thanksgiving to increase, because we're thankful for getting our share in the biggest treasure ever. And, crucially, it will also be to the glory of God, because more and more people will recognize him as the source of their lives and as the one who brought them close through the gospel. But Paul speaks here of two objectives, grace extending to more and more people uh, and the glory of God. And, and all that he said earlier about all the things that, that he needs to face, uh, all of that is in the service of these two objectives. And then, of course, in the next chapter, chapter he will go on in detail into what it means to be entrusted with this ministry of reconciliation. The bottom line, this is not a treasure to hang on to, but to freely share with a world that desperately needs it. I, I spoke earlier about some of the dangers associated with treasure, you know, perhaps ignoring it, uh, perhaps becoming used to it. Um, and, and here we probably come across a, a third really important one, hoarding it, saying, this is for me and me alone. And maybe as Christians, we, we won't verbalize that, because it sounds horrible <laughs> when we say it, um, but could it not be that that is sometimes our attitude, that we do not freely share the gospel as we ought to, that we think that the fact that we're in, that we have our share with the treasure, that that's kind of enough. But Paul reminds us that more and more people must eventually, by God's grace, share in this treasure. So let me remind you, as I close, of these four bedrock truths associated with treasure that we see in this passage. First, the gospel is really, really precious. Let's never forget that. Secondly, um, it is held in weak vessels. We're not as strong as we think we are. Understanding the bigger picture of what God is doing can help us to persevere. And then lastly, this is a message that should be shared. This is a treasure that is not diminished by sharing. In his earlier letter to the Corinthians, right towards the end in chapter 15, so 1 Corinthians 15, Paul spoke of the most important part of his teaching. What I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. Nothing more important than this. This is the heart of the Christian message. This is the treasure that we have been entrusted with. And so as a kid, as I was thinking about what I will do if I actually get to that X, if I find this treasure, let's just close by asking, what do we do with treasure? And may God help us to think through this and to apply it. The first and obvious thing is, we treasure it. We really do treasure it as the most important thing that we know, as the most important thing that we've been given. Secondly, we don't become proud and boastful because of it. We remember that we are, are but clay jars. Thirdly, that if we're called upon to do the hard yards because we hold to this message or we share this message, we take the long view. God will work out his purposes and will use his people in the process. And lastly, we don't hoard it. 
we don't say, mine and mine alone. We know that this treasure is for the world, so that grace may indeed increase. And that more people may give God the glory. May he help us as we live with this treasure and as we share it to a world that desperately needs it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, for its truth and its power. We thank you for the Apostle Paul as he sat down to think through what it means to be in your service, what it means to hold on to the gospel, to minister the gospel, and to share the gospel. Lord, we have to confess that sometimes we become used to this glorious gospel message in a way that's not helpful. Help us to once again just realize the magnitude and the truth and the power and the glory of the fact that your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, gave his life for his people on the cross. And that that opens up life in this world, in the world to come. There are people here who have not made this message their own yet. We pray that you will work in their hearts through your spirit this morning. And for those of us who have placed our trust in you by your grace, we pray, Lord, that you will help us to value the gospel properly, to not become boastful or proud because we are believers. That you will help us, Lord, to whatever circumstances we go through, to place that into the eternal perspective. And Lord, we pray that as people who have been received or who have received mercy will also share this message of mercy with our world. We pray, Lord, that you will enable us to do these things in Jesus' name. Amen.